Hello everyone, this is Gruesome Herzog. My very special guest today is director, producer, writer, Craig Singer. Hey, on, Craig. Hey, great, Gruesome. Nice to uh, be on your show. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you, and I'm um, glad to have you on here. Um, if you want, we can start uh, way back in 95. Uh, there's a movie by the title called uh, Animal Room. Do you want to explain to listeners what, what that's about? Sure, that was uh, my first feature film. I'd been shooting music videos for uh, a number of years and I had an opportunity of selling the screenplay for Animal Room and I decided to call in some favors uh, from the folks who I'd been helping over the years and do it on a guerrilla basis, low-budget uh, feature down the shore. And um, what happened was Neil Patrick Harris was, I guess, uh, finished up the Doogie Howard series a few years earlier and he wanted to do something that would kind of um, kind of reinvent him, his brand as something a little bit edgier and he felt that the, the title role of Arnold Mosk in Animal Room would, would do the trick and when Neil signed on um, the cast kind of fell into place um, really blessed with a wonderful young cast of up and coming talent such as Matthew Lillard I think Matthew had done a film called Ghoulies and a Waters film called Serial Mom but that was about it and uh, it was also Amanda Peet's first film and I remember that the casting director told me that she wouldn't amount to anything, so I shouldn't shouldn't waste my time casting her. But I had a feeling that she was going to be terrific, so went with her and Catherine Hicks from Seventh Heaven. Um, the band oh, yeah. of mis the band of misfits are in the film. So and I worked recently with Michael Graves, who was in the Misfits at the time in uh, in Romania for Perkins Fourteen. So that kind of came full circle. But yeah, it was kind of my baptism in fire. I, I learned a lot uh, from that experience, and we're very fortunate to find a distributor um, in Europe and. Uh, and then ultimately America, so it's right. kind of a, a little cult classic. Yeah, yeah, I, that's the thing about these. You mentioned about cult classics. There's a lot of horror films that are independent, low budget. That you know, yeah, people might not know about them now. But my whole purpose of this interviews is to get some of these low budget independent movies up there so people can watch them. And you'd be surprised, ten, fifteen years from now, that movie could be a cult classic. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. I mean, I'd always been interested in, in that. The topic and uh, the kind of a, the genre of, of dark coming of age films and horror films, and I think I was you know as well as informed as I needed to be. But uh, you know, learning the, the production end and the distribution end and the exhibition and that was really quite something. It was challenging to say the least, and you know, financing falling through at the last minute and scrambling and you know, really wearing many hats was uh, was kind of like my I couldn't afford to go to film school, so it really was my film school. Yep. Well, you know what. There, I know a lot of people like yourself that hasn't gone to film school, has put up some decent movies that, you know, it's it's amazing. And if you have the talent and the patience, I guess it's possible for anybody, I guess. You know? It really is. I mean, particularly nowadays with technology, uh, when I cut, started cutting that film, we started cutting it on film, and the Avid was new technology at the time, and we, we finished it uh, on using uh, the Avid. And I remember uh, Abel Ferrara was using... Uh, I believe it was Lightworks at the time. There was different editing systems, but but at least I had the opportunity to to cut half of my film, um, cut negative, to cut a work print, and and that was a really uh, fascinating process. It was kind of like the old guard and the end of an era. And nowadays, digital is is doing the same to film in some respects. Yep. Now the next film, um, I take it, it's called A Good Night to Die in two thousand three. 
Well, actually, there was a film before that called Bad Dogs Lie. Oh, you know what? I apologize. I skipped that one by accident. I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that, that Dog's a great little film. It's my only film that hasn't been uh, released, which is it did uh, it won almost every film festival that we submitted it to, but we had some trouble with uh, with some with uh, you know, some of the elements, and, and uh, so the, the producer decided to sit on it. And uh, it's, it's a wonderful little crime noir, which. Ultimately, led to a good night to die. Okay, good night to die was shot in New York City. Um, originally, it, Mickey Rourke was attached to play the lead. August, and we ended up replacing Mickey after about two years. It's a kind of a crazy story. There was a producer named John Daly at the time who was attached, and John was a 13-time Academy Award winner. He'd uh, produced Platoon and River's Edge and Hoosiers and. Um, he ultimately fell out, but he introduced Mickey to the project, and Mickey and I became friends, and we ultimately wrote a script together, Mickey and myself, and my writing partner, Robert Klein, worked on a script called Penance that Mickey had uh, written, and uh, Mickey hung with Goodnight for a number of years, and ultimately the studio couldn't come to terms with him, and they replaced Mickey with Michael Rappaport, but uh, years later he'd seen the film, and he was very complimentary, he liked it a lot, and right. was very kind, really gracious. Um, we premiered that at the Cannes Film Festival, and from that experience, I was approached by Lionsgate to, uh, they, they wanted to be involved with my next feature, and I said I wanted to do a horror film, and they said, okay, we're your partner, and that's how Dark Ride happened. Okay. Okay, well, if you want, we can, we can backtrack um, to talk about uh, um, uh, Dead Dogs Lie, sure. if you want. We can back that up a minute. Yeah, sure. Um, what can I tell you? What would you like to know about that? Well, I guess, uh, I mean, I, like I said, I haven't seen it, and I'm sure some listeners might not have seen it. If you want to, you can explain something about it, you know, how it came about, or, you know, the storyline of it, and, you know. Yeah, it's about, um, it's about three hitmen on a road trip to uh, perform some dastardly deeds, and uh, we shot it in and around Asbury Park, New Jersey, on Super 16 with a very lean and mean crew. It was probably my best professional uh, filmmaking experience uh, because we all lived in the DP's house down the Jersey Shore, and okay. and really everybody did everything. So we had wonderful cast: Tommy Flanagan and Gary Stretch and Sarah Graham Hayes. And Tommy Flanagan, you might remember from uh, Gladiator or Braveheart, Sin yep. City, and he's got these two you know prominent scars on his face. And uh, he was coming off of Gladiator and literally was you know vacuuming floors. So it was a real spree de corps. Everybody was kind of there was no egos. Everybody was kind of pitching in. And it was a wonderful experience. Right on the heels of that, shooting Good Night to Die, which was my first union film, it was interesting because I, I couldn't move a prop without getting yelled at by a teamster. So ah. <laughs> coming from Dead Dogs, where you know, everybody was kind of making dinner for everyone at night and telling stories and living together. It was almost like a, you know, Coppola-style 60s filmmaking. It was a wonderful experience. And then I had this, this kind of very different, uh, equally wonderful experience, but certainly very different experience with A Good Night to Die. Right. You know, it's funny you mentioned that, uh, why not you mentioned it, but I, I, I've been watching a lot of short films, okay? Now, I never watched a short film in my life until someone sent me one. Um, but I noticed you also have a short film. It's a, it's a comedy, but I'm going to mention it anyways. It's called Kill Charlie in 2005? Yeah, I'm very proud of Kill Charlie. Kill Charlie is uh, it's a funny idea. It's the, uh, it's the kids from Willy Wonka 25 years later, and they're angry, and they... they, uh, they hold Charlie Bucket accountable for the misery in their lives and 
It's yeah. much longer. It's actually a 40-minute film that was cut down by the producers to, I think, only a few minutes, and then it was 14 minutes, and then 12 minutes, and now I think it lives online as a kind of a trailer, but the the, the extended original version, I'd love to, to release that one day because it's a lot of fun, and it's, there's actually a feature-length script that goes behind that that talks about in great detail what happened to Veruca Salt and Mike TV and Augustus Gloop. Um, and it's a lot of fun, and it's something that uh, I think a lot of people kind of fantasize about is the extension of the characters' lives and plots and, and things like that. And certainly the Willy Wonka kids are very, yeah. very colorful, and they're near and dear to, to many, many people such as myself. Right. Now, is that short available online anywhere? <laughs> yeah, I believe it's on iFilm if you Google Kill Charlie. Okay. Uh, YouTube or iFilm, it's out there. You could uh, you could certainly watch the, the, the short, short version. Right. Which well, isn't my favorite version, but at least it gives you an idea of the flavor. Well, what I do is, if I can find a link, I will attach it to your your interview, so people can can click on it and, and take a look at it. Oh, that's terrific! Now, the next movie that really uh, brought me to your style of work, um, a movie that I watched that I was totally blown away from by it. I reviewed it on my podcast. It's Dark Ride in two thousand six. Thank you, thank you very much. Dark Ride is, is one of my favorites. I love, uh, I love the world that we kind of jumped into and the, the universe of the Dark Ride. I'd always been a fan of Dark Rides as, as a kid, and I always felt like that was a cool what if. Like, what if you're hanging out with your friends and you broke into a place like that that happened to be inhabited by a psychopathic killer? And and that was it planted the seed when I was actually I used to go into a lot of the Dark Rides on the Jersey Shore as a kid and. Uh, down in Wildwood or Atlantic City and uh, Seaside Heights and we kind of created the dark ride that, that lives in Asbury Park which actually no longer exists and replicated that in uh, Santa Monica down in California. It's a funny story because uh, we, we were going to shoot it in Australia and then uh, we decided ultimately we shot it at Universal Studios and we were looking for kind of a Jersey Shore vibe in California and, and not really being that well versed with uh, California geographically, I, I imagined that I was going to find tons and tons of boardwalks and piers, and really there's nothing like the Jersey Shore anywhere in California. <laughs> the piers are all concrete, and there's really no boardwalk, so I was a little disheartened, but uh, ultimately we, we figured out a way to make portions of the Santa Monica Pier work, and then the interior of the actual dark ride was shot in, in interior, in, inside the facades of the Universal Studio backlot. So we took like the New York Street and the Hunchback of Notre Dame, like the buildings from classic horror movies, and we shot inside the guts, which, two things, it was kind of nice mojo to be filming where all of that history had taken place and cinematic history, and, and it was also, uh, it replicated what the interior of the dark ride actually looks like. So it, it, for, from a production value perspective, it was very fortunate for us. Yeah, but, you know, like I said, when, when you know when I watched this, I was so blown away. You know, as you know, I'm a horror podcaster, so I'm a diehard horror fan. But what I find amazing about this movie is the killer himself. Yeah, um, Jonah. Jonah rocks. Jonah. Jonah has a fan a fan base. Yeah. And it was important to find something that hadn't really been done. That like, what we found was just concerning and eerie, and, and having the, the the cherubs mask and kind of linking that to having him pull one of the faces off one of the. Uh, you know the tableaus within the ride. I thought was really cool yeah. because I just I didn't want to just put a mask on him, and I didn't want him to to be like every other killer. And 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 we were, Dave Warden, the actor who plays Jonah, did a great job. And um, he actually is uh, in a band, and we met him, and I knew right away he did some improvs for me in the uh, audition. 
right. and I knew that he was our Jonah. And then uh, from there, we just uh, you know Jamie Lynn signed on, and she was terrific, and put the rest of our cast together. Well, I, I can tell you one thing though. There's one scene in this movie that you know, for a low budget, I think it was one of the best gore that I've ever seen. Was with the, the security guard where he comes behind him and uh, cuts his head in half. Yeah, uh, thanks very much. That was um, I'm I'm really proud of that scene for a number of reasons. Specifically, we didn't use any CG, and I was <clears throat> kind of adamant against that because for me as a as a fan. It always kind of takes me out of a, of a horror film. There's always a disconnect between the monster and the gore when they use a computer right. elements. Even in a terrific film like Pan Lab, Pan's Labyrinth, a lot of the blood was CG, and I, there's always this kind of something that it's not quite right. And I felt like doing it all in camera as much as we could, and using practical effects and puppets and things like that would uh, ultimately be much more rewarding for the audience and I get a lot of love for, for that scene in, in particular so I'm really happy that you liked it yes I mean when I reviewed this movie I made sure that I mentioned the one scene I just told you I just mentioned now I just said the exact thing I told you you know I said for the for a low budget horror that's one of the best scenes that I've seen <laughs> as a horror guy because Thanks, it's, no, it's funny because actually there's this scene where um, where the hippie chick goes down on her boyfriend and gets mm-hmm. decapitated. That's the clip of the week in Talk Soup. So we're all, we wear that like a badge of honor because it's, uh, it's hard to become the clip of the week and they, they thought that that was incredibly outrageous and something that hadn't been done to death and it's tough in, in horror films to think of new ways to kind of, to pop out of the box and scare an audience because everything's been done to death, hasn't it? Yep. Well, a friend of mine, like I said, John Maine's his name, and on Chris- he came here on Christmas, and out of the sky blue, he says, Hey, did you check that dark ride out? I saw, oh, yeah, I seen it. And he was going on and on and on about it. I said, You know what? At least I need to oil on that. You know, I thought, you know, people probably seen it or didn't see it yet, but he, he loved it. But now there's one thing I'm going to ask you about right at the end. I asked him the same question I'm going to ask you. It ended where the girl walks out, but his brother was left in there. Now, is that left open for a sequel, or is that just how it's en- or, that, or is that just how it ended? No, it's it's um, Patrick Cranham, by the way, is a terrific actor who was happened to be walking uh, at Universal to audition for a different film when uh, when he happened to know the producers of, of Dark Ride and came in and just met and decided to read for us. So we we're really lucky that he, he's the kid from The Sandlot and a lot yep. of other films. Yep. But yeah, it's it's left a little bit ambiguous intentionally. First of all, I think am- ambiguity and the end of horror films are usually more satisfying for me as opposed to like cramming down the ending right Um, but Dark Ride we're talking about doing a Dark Ride kind of a prequel which would be um, Jonah's backstory which my writing partner Robert Klein and I have been talking about for a number of years and we've also talked about doing Dark Ride 2 and 3D which environmentally feels right because the technology it's been overused, but I feel like for a film like Dark Ride to have the pop-outs yes. and the Dark Ride itself come alive using 3D technology makes a lot of sense. So I'd be open to doing something like that if the studio was behind it. Yeah. Now, would now this? I'm um, speaking hypothetically. Now, would the character that survived would he be the new uh, killer? Well, Bill could potentially be the new killer, but we're thinking of kind of cross-cutting between Bill's story moving forward and Jonah's backstory in terms of how he became oh yeah 
So I almost a little bit of an homage to Godfather 2, where you're, we're showing the old and the new kind of converging simultaneously. Or now you have the Texas Chancellor Massacre 2, the, the, the beginning. How did they do right. that? Exactly. That's right. Excellent. Now, the next movie I want to talk to you about, as you brought to my attention today, which I have it, I'm yet to see it, I'm going to see it, Perkins 14, 2009. Yeah, that was a, so Lionsgate uh, asked me to do another film for them with uh, After Dark, and we decided uh, we had a really good experience with uh, the release of Dark Ride, the, the marketing of the film, and they were pretty much hands-off creatively, which as a filmmaker is always a good thing. So uh, Perkins was billed as like, the first crowdsourced feature film, meaning there was a lot of fan involvement. The fans kind of came up with different premises for a film and then voted on cast and voted on the marketing of the film. So it was experimental in that respect. So I embraced that. I felt that that was an interesting challenge to kind of really speak to the fans' desires. And so a kid, uh, in, I believe North Carolina, came up with the idea. There were ten finalist ideas, and then they voted, and, and the Perkins 14 was the winner. And we held auditions in Los Angeles and uh, shot the film in Media Pro in Bufta, Romania, which was quite an adventure wow. in and of itself. Um, yeah, it's much more serious and dark in tone than Dark Ride. Dark Ride's a popcorn movie. It's a lot of fun. It's yeah. kind of a colorful... Um, flavor to it, but Perkins is, I think the reason that a lot of people love Perkins is because it's it's kind of two films. It's a, it's a bit of a family drama and a, and a kidnapping film and a zombie film, even though they're not really zombies per se. Right. Um, <clears throat> a lot of people find it very disturbing. I think we got really lucky with the performances. Some of the even minor characters are extremely um, talented actors and, and they, they uh, they deliver the goods, and there's a, a serious tone and, and kind of a feeling that um, of doom and gloom that uh, I find really satisfying. Now, Richard Drake, Richard Brake is the one who plays Ronald Perkins, correct? That is correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, I'm as a matter of fact, I'm going to be watching this sometime this week. Now, since I'm talking to you, I had to move it up on, on my uh, on my schedule because I got tons to watch, but. That's a, inter- I mean, like I said, it's that's going to be an interesting movie to watch. It's got yeah, Richard, I, had, I hadn't realized when I, I cast in London, and I didn't realize at the time that he had kind of an iconic star uh, in the in the horror community. He had a, a stature that I wasn't aware of, so I, I'm happy that I just cast him based on his talent and his ability. And then I came to find out that he had this kind of a cult following because of his work, and um, he's terrific in the film. And, Patrick, uh, the lead uh, who plays Hopper, is also he's a, a RISD, a Royal Academy uh, Shakespearean theatrical actor that I, I kind of discovered, and um, subsequently I've seen some of his work. He starred in the play The War Horse, which Spielberg is turning into a feature film as we speak. Oh wow! And Patrick's fantastic as the lead, and uh, Shayla Beasley was one of the contest winners who plays his daughter Daisy, and uh, Michael Graves, the singer from The Misfits, one of the singers from The Misfits is terrific in that film and Michael's been touring with Marky Ramone all around the world so it's um, you know, it's, it's, you know we, we cobbled together a really impressive cast for a small feature Excellent. Now is there anything else that, that's coming up in the future that you're, you're involved with that, that, that listeners might be interested in hearing? Yeah well there's, uh, I'm working on uh, two horror films in one genre I'm, I'm actually uh, involved as a producer on a remake of kind of a classic uh, horror film, which I'm not at liberty to discuss the title, but I will as soon as I get the green light. You'll be one of the first people I share it with. Thank you. And then, uh, in terms of directing, um, 
I'm involved in a film called The Block and a film called 645. Um, so hopefully we'll get the green light and I'll start shooting those in the, in a few months or start prepping one of the two at least. And uh, The Block is probably the darkest material that I've ever dealt in and, and, and hopefully it uh, delivers the scares and the goods. It's much more psychological than anything I've ever done before and I'm, I'm kind of eager to kind of jump into that world. Excellent. Well, yeah, you know, uh, like I said, I'm glad to have you on here. It was, uh, I was kind of surprised by the I am. I said, you know what? I'm hoping that he says, give me a call because I was kind of anxious to talk to you about the dark ride in Perkins 14. Well, it's been my pleasure. It's been painless like you promised me, yeah. and uh, <laughs> I'd be happy to do it again. No problem.